Welcome back to the Horny Deer Sense Podcast. So, turkey season 2022, the update. Um, I've been humbled, I'm not going to lie. I I started turkey hunting about five years ago, had a couple, three rough seasons. Uh, Last couple of seasons went pretty well. I tagged out last year, got pretty confident, maybe a little too, actually I did get a little too cocky, I'll be honest with you. Coming into this season... You know, I I heard different ones talk about how, <laughs> how as soon as you start, you know, getting a little a little too confident, it, it tends to humble you. And uh, consider me hashtag humbled. Um, so I've been concentrating up here on public land, just really wanting to pull a bird off these mountains up here. And I've killed more, I think I'm up to five gobblers now on flat land, um, but I've yet to pull one off this mountain. I've, I've had so many close calls and you, know, you replay it back in your mind and don't get me wrong, every one of them is a, a learning experience. But it, I mean, it's just a different beast. We've got till May 15th here in Georgia and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling the pressure a little bit and it, Along those lines, as far as turkey hunting, I'm really excited about today's guest. It's Mark Williams, the Georgia DNR commissioner. And we had some changes in the turkey rules and regulations this season. And, you know, we're, we're humans. Nobody nobody uh, just loves embracing change. And, I, you know, just having conversations with different ones. Uh, not everybody was happy about it, but I wanted to bring Mark on, you know, after spending some time with Mark. Um, mainly just to show people who's behind some of the decisions and you know we, we tend to think at different times that it's people not involved with turkey hunting and you know hunting in general and just strictly numbers types of people but it really is the people that are behind it you know not only mark but you know different ones that he mentions in the conversation there are people that that love turkey hunting love deer hunting and love the outdoors in general and you know it just it paints a little different picture when you hear from the people behind the scenes and was just really incredibly appreciative of mark taking out the time he's actually headed out of town i think tomorrow to chase some merriams but just uh just a just a great great person you know somebody that if you ran into in a sporting goods store and struck up a conversation you would never know that you know he does what he does and just really appreciate him taking the time and i hope you enjoy the conversation mark williams welcome to the horny deer sense podcast great to be here scott it's a beautiful morning down here on the coast i'm uh Sitting out here looking at the lovely marshes of Glen, uh, down at our coastal resource division office, working down here this week. Oh, that's beautiful. We were down there not too long ago, uh, my my wife and I. And it was my my first time down that just that general area of Georgia, and was really blown away. It, it, it's crazy. I think too, you know, and you know more so than anybody just the the variety of ecosystems within Georgia and I think we take a, take that for granted sometimes yeah uh, it's, it is a very diverse state uh, my my biologist could tell you I think we're third 
in plant diversity in the nation in eight, maybe. Uh, don't quote me on that, but in, in uh, wildlife diversity. Um, so, yeah, it's um, you go from these marshes to the beautiful northeast and northwest Georgia mountains. I tell people you can be on the beach, get in your car, and, and uh, in about five or six hours, you can find a place to climb and uh, climb on the rocks and up in the mountains. But it, it is one thing a lot of people don't know and, and even living down here I take it for granted um, we have the salt marshes or they say a lot of a lot of scientists believe they're uh, even more dynamic than the rainforest when it when it comes to uh, ecological value and we have one-third of the entire salt marsh on the eastern seaboard so if you start at the started uh, all the way down in the Florida Keys and go all the way to the main, 33% of the entire salt marsh on our eastern seaboard resides in our little 100-mile coast. So it's very important and very very much worth protecting. That's awesome. And I had no clue, and there was so much. We did a, a boat tour while we were down there, and they took us by, is it Cumberland Island down there? Yes. They still got all those wild horses that were brought over decades, I guess a couple of hundred years ago. And just, just the story behind all of that, but how at some point, you know, they were, they were trying to regulate that island. And then at some point they just left the horses there to do their own thing. And so you drive by and you see legitimate wild horses just out there doing their thing. Yeah. The, the history of this coast is, is, is really fascinating when it comes to our barrier islands you had i'll start south because you started with that but cumberland uh was owned by the carnegie family um and then you move up jekyll island was sort of the clubhouse hunting club for a lot of rich folks including folks like jp morgan um Five of those guys sat in the little restaurant there in their hunting club and drew up the Federal Reserve Banking System, they say, on a napkin. I know they drew it up there, and they said at that time, one-fifth of the world's wealth was sitting in that room. So Jekyll's pretty fascinating. It's now a state park. Uh, it's our largest state park. And then you go up and you have uh, Sapelo that was owned by Howard Kaufman, uh, who owned Hudson Motor Company, and he later sold it to R.J. Reynolds of Reynolds Tobacco. North of there, you've got Ossabaw Island that was owned by the Tory family that owned Pittsburgh Steel and Glass. So all these northern industrialists came down and, and loved our islands and, and lived on them, and um, that's why they're all protected quite frankly. Uh, they, they were uh, later sold, like we bought Ossobal, I think in the 70s from the Tory family. Um, and Jekyll, in, after the World War, um, federal government made uh, came in and they saw some German U-boats off the coast of Georgia during the war. They uh, evacuated the islands and a lot of the folks just didn't come back and uh, the state negotiated with those families. And so we, we owned that. Cumberland is, uh, so we own Sapelo and Ossobal. We bought uh, Sapelo from the Reynolds family. Um, and uh, it's a wildlife management area. Ossobal is a wildlife management area. And then Cumberland is owned partially by the federal government and partially by privately owned by the Carnegie descendants. So a lot of history off this coast uh, around the turn of the century. 
It's pretty, it really is fascinating. <clears throat> just the, the history behind it. And it is, it's awesome to be able, you know, just as a, a, a quote unquote commenter <laughs> and get to go yeah. down and experience those areas. Yeah. So one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you on, I know, you know, there were some changes in, in Turkey season, you know, leading up to this year and, uh, human beings by nature are generally opposed to much of anything that has to do with change. And uh, when we got connected and you and I started talking about turkey hunting, you lit up like a Christmas tree. And one of the, I just wanted people to know that, you know, the people that are behind these measures, they love the outdoors and hunting and wildlife every bit as much, if not more than all of us out here, you know, going through. Oh yeah. Well, and you're exactly right. Um, uh, I, I, I came from the private sector. I didn't come up through the department and, uh, I actually had my own feelings about quote unquote bureaucrats as I'm one of them now and have been <laughs> yeah. for 13 years in this job, but, uh, um, but hunted all my life. And, and you're right. It's, um, I tell people I, I would hate that for the Lord to come down one day and say, Mark, you got to choose between deer and turkeys. Cause I don't know which way <laughs> I would go, but, uh, this time of year, I'm just like every tur every other turkey hunter. I, I can't sleep about five nights before the, the season comes in. And and and, and my employees, uh, quite frankly, I, I'm trying to think hard, male or female, of an employee. And in our wildlife resources section, we've probably got 550 employees just in that, that division that doesn't hunt or fish. Um, or both, uh, even in our non-game section, uh, some of the best turkey hunters, the best turkey hunter we had probably, he's, he's left us now retired with our, our herpetologist um, who, who worked with turtles and stuff. But um, we're not, we, we love it just, to, just like anybody else. And, and, and Scott, when I came to this job, it's because I served at the will of one person, the governor, and I serve at that place at his, at his pleasure at, with the current governor. And um, I just said, I don't know if I'm going to be up here two weeks or two days, but I'm not going to do any damage to what I love. And, and I'm going to do everything I can to expand what we do. And so in 13 years, this was the first time that we really pulled back or, or, or put some restrictions on hunting under, under my administration. And, We'd been hearing it for years. It was a lot of anecdotal stuff. You know, um, I read GON. I go on Woody's Campfire Talk. I read it. I don't I don't comment because once the commissioner comments, it, it sort of lights up and I can't ever get out of the conversation. I got oh, absolutely. to do during the day. But I love reading it. Those are our customers. Um, and it just it, rose to a crescendo it just it was you know a little talk about it we're not seeing as many we're not seeing as many and and i'm on i'm on the road a lot and i can remember the days you couldn't go by a field without a tom out there strutting or some hens pecking around and and uh, just weren't weren't seeing it anymore and on my own farm um the population had gotten gotten way down and so we worked with uh we, we I think probably the best turkey biologist in this in the in in the nation to me is a guy named Mike Chamberlain who we're fortunate enough to have at the University of Georgia now, and um, 
he pre presented to us and uh, presented a, he presented to a lot of southeastern states over the course of a year and um, because of nesting and, and predation and those type of things uh, with the season dates we didn't go as far as he recommended um, uh, we, we we pushed it back uh, a week on private lands and then pushed it back two weeks on our uh, on our public lands because we can control public lands. We can we can do our surveys there. I can't go on your farm. Well, I could if you asked us to, but yeah. we uh, we can we can monitor that and see if it helps. And uh, that's what uh, we decided to do was. Let's watch it. Let's push it back and let's, let's push the season back and watch it for a couple of years and see if it helps. And yeah. then on the, on the, uh, the limit, we just, we, we, we decided to attack it from the harvest side first and see if that helps. And uh, I think one of the biggest thing we did and, 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 and look, um, turkey hunters, are the, I mean, hunters in general are the most opinionated people in the world. I'm one of them, so I got my opinions too, but um, was the one bird a day. Um, I, I, you know, if you're an avid turkey hunter, you've called up multiple, multiple gobblers before, and uh, we just felt like you shoot the one and come back and, you know, hunt those other ones on another day, and uh, I think that's going to help a lot. Uh, the thing is, this year we must have had a great hatch two years ago, uh, because this year things are better, and it has nothing to do with our regulations because they just went into effect this year. But what I'm hearing, and it's anecdotal, and 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 people listening will say, "Well, he's wrong. I hadn't heard of one on my farm." And, and, and but we're a big state. Uh, but overall, I'm hearing better better uh, reports this year, and of course. We encourage everybody to fill out that card. If you if you're a turkey hunter, you'll get that survey card. Just put it on your refrigerator, and at the end of the season, send it back in. Whether whether you didn't hear a gobble, fill it out the way it is, so we can know. Um, that really helps us. And then we do another survey after the season. And if you've got the app. A lot of people don't know this, but if you've got the app, you can look real time. You can pull up your county and see how many have been killed in your county. Um, you can pull it up this morning and see how many up, up right up to the minute have been harvested. So I didn't know that. That's uh, yeah. that's probably going to suck out about thirty minutes of my morning. Yeah, with deer too. Yeah, I do it when I when I have downtime. I'll just flip up my phone and and I'll look around in there and see, you know. What are they doing in Appling County? What are they yeah, doing? I get I get to see everybody that's doing better than I am. Well, you know, <laughs> a lot of satisfaction with turkey hunters is goblin. It's exactly. Goblin. It's goblin. They want to hear them, and I want to hear them. And uh, so I had a little success two weeks ago on a, on a Friday morning. Uh, I don't get to go. Everybody uh, has, may have a misconception that the commissioner gets to go hunting up anywhere he wants to, anytime he wants to, but uh, I did get to slip out and, uh, and uh, you know, it's that blind hog thing. Um, I'm not a great caller, but. Uh, no, hey, let's talk about it. I want to, I want to hear the story. Well, um, I just, we sat up and uh, heard some, we heard gobble, heard about four. And uh, then uh, as, as, as many turkey mornings end up, you're, uh, you, you, you they get with hands or whatever. So we, we got up and moved and a friend of mine and we, um, 
walked up to a food plot, glassed a couple on the other end, and then sat back up on the road, and there was two gobblers and uh, I think three hens in there, and uh, probably the subordinate gobbler is the one that came, but uh, he was pretty to me, and I let the old 410 rip. Uh, Heck yeah. I, I shoot a 410. Uh, I'll give a plug to my buddy uh, Bobby Sears at Jeb's Chokes, and and I always plug Georgia companies, uh, but Bobby Sears does a great job with his chokes in Hazelhurst, and it was a CBA 410, and, you know, they're up in Gwinnett County, and uh, with a real tree pattern, and they're from LaGrange, Georgia. There so, you go. Uh, love all those guys. Can't wait to use y'all scent next fall. Man, I'm so glad to, to get that in your hands, uh, and yeah. we'll, have to, we'll have to circle back and do a, do a another podcast during deer season um but on I can't the get my wife to wear, i can't get my wife to wear that t-shirt though I, just, <laughs> I don't know what it is about it it's got deer antlers on it but yeah i don't maybe which i don't know if you can see on the camera but i'm actually sharing coffee with you from a a, a coffee cup that just reads horny on it maybe that yeah know, maybe she needs one of those I tell you, that's a that's a great name, I, and I, 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 we we've got so many hunting industries in this state. Um, Daniel Defense, Remington, um, CBI. I'm gonna leave some out. Taurus. Um, we're just a very hunter friendly state, um, uh, and I've been so blessed to Sonny Purdue appointed me. I served under Nathan Dill eight years and with Governor Kemp now. And Sonny Purdue was a turkey. He loves turkey hunting. It's the only hunting he does. He may shoot some quail, but he is a he loves turkey hunting. I Governor Dill was he was not a big hunter. He would do you know the quail hunts and stuff, but he really appreciated the the the, the tradition of hunting and the economic value it brought. State and then of course Governor Kemp, he's he's just legit hunter. I mean, he's I traipsed through the swamps with him. He 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 loves bow hunting, rifle hunting, and all the seasons. I I tell you a funny story, Scott. He I got sent his calendar one day by accident. <laughs> um, and and it had like Rotary Club. I mean, his day is so full of just every hour, every minute had something. But at the top of the calendar, at 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., it had the seasons that were in. That's it's incredible. Deer season and quail season. And so I asked him one day, I said, is that on every? He said, every day. He said, he said that, that's the first thing I like to look at. And so been enjoyed. I just, I, I see some of these other commissioners around the nation that, you know, that, that may not have governors that see hunting the way we do in Georgia. Right. It's tough. It's tough. Uh, well, and so you were the, and you mentioned it earlier. You serve at the pleasure of the of the governor, so there is no set term limit. And so you walk in. What was it, two thousand ten or so, that you were appointed? Yeah, um, and, I was in Kansas deer hunting and um, went out to. Um, well, if you've ever hunted in Kansas, you, you don't have much cell service, and um, I. We had a hay bale that we would stand on and call our wives every day. And I went out there to call my wife and my phone, when it got the signal, it started lighting up all these missed calls. And so I called, called, and called. 
and finally got Governor Purdue and then Governor Deal, and they they asked me to do it, and I was like, hell yeah! I mean, you gonna pay me to hunt and fish? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I didn't say that to them, but um, so I get home and. I get two questions from my buddies around the burn barrel, and it was, uh, when you get your gun and badge, and can I get a gator tag? <laughs> That's the kind of guys I hang out with. They didn't care about the job. But, uh, you know, I, I say that sort of jokingly because a lot of people think all DNR is is game wardens, and that they are a very important part, but we have 2,200 employees and our, our game wardens make up 200 of those employees. So oh, wow. We have, um, we have four divisions. We have coastal resources where I'm at down here that protect the marsh, see about all the marine, they handle the marine fisheries, the uh, marine mammals and those types of things. We have wildlife resources, which is up in a social circle. And that's, Conservation section, which is another word, non-game fisheries. Uh, we operate eight fish hatcheries around the state and then game management, which is what we're talking about, all the things we love to hunt. And then state parks. I mean, we got 60 state parks that go from all the way from Cloudland Canyon, way up in Northwest Georgia to um, uh, Stephen C. Foster down in Okanopee Swamp. And, they do a great job, and I just want to give them all a shout out because thanks to our governor, we never closed. We never closed hunting, fishing, boat ramps, not one state park. We stayed open through the whole thing because he and I both felt like, you know, I don't know how much uh, um, quarantining you did, but it, it I did a little bit of it, and it, it doesn't take but just a little bit of it, and we realized that Georgians needed to get out. And, yeah. I'll be honest with you. Personally, I never experienced the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, nothing changed. And I'm sitting here today and, you know, uh, now that, you know, I guess different news outlets and stuff aren't pushing, uh, you know, daily terror, you know, people are kind of loosening up, but honestly, if you, if you didn't partake in that life never really looked any different to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, we went to online registration. Um, when, when, you, when you have a customer base like we do, especially at state parks, um, we wanted them to feel safe and right. keep our employees safe. And so online registration, we were 25, we had a 25% bump during COVID in park visitation. And um, it, it, it was, um, and, and those people were coming back. Uh, we get, we get, we get, we had to put DOT and uh, we had to call them and help us with our boat ramps on our borders, like over at uh, Lake Russell uh, with South Carolina and all the Floridians were coming up to use our beaches. And, uh, but we managed it and it was the right decision. Um, looking back. Um, he, uh, Governor Kemp, which I was a fan of him, especially just knowing, you know, that he was an actual sportsman, you know, he wasn't somebody that showed up for a, a quick film shoot with a, with a shotgun, you know, broken down. Off, <laughs> yeah. Off the camouflage. Yeah. yeah. I was a big fan, you know, to start with, but the way that he handled everything through the last couple of years, it just, it, it just put him on another level with me. Yeah. And, 
we've just we've been friends a, a long time. We we were hunting buddies before I worked for him, and uh, it it'd be hard to do this job for an anti hunter. I, I it just about I don't know how you would do it. Um, and I've just like I said, I've just been fortunate to have have great bosses. You know, hunters. Uh, my folks tell me hunters spend over five million dollars a day in this state. Just on that's incredible. Passion. Yeah. If you give the big number, nobody can comprehend it. So I try to break it down uh, to that smaller number, and that uh, does put it in perspective. Like yeah. daily. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you can go in Bass Pro and all these other Bass Pro's big, but they're little um, mom and pop hunting shops all over this state. That that's the ones I like. I mean, I love Bass Pro too, but uh, I like going in there and just chatting with folks. And, a lot of your hardware stores, especially in rural Georgia, still carry what we need for our passion. And, uh, for sure. Well, and even these conversations with people like yourself, to me, it kind of takes me back to those days where you're in the local sport and go store, just kind of shooting the shit, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's fun just to, to catch up with people that are like-minded. And I think a lot of times, you know, the perception with DNR and different state agencies is that, you know, there's people behind the scenes that don't actively participate in wildlife in general and not really, you know, privy to rural Georgia, but your whole background, your whole raising, nobody knows rural Georgia better than you do. No, I, I was actually, um, raised in uh, Habersham County. Uh, I won't get it. It's a long story. My, my dad was a high school principal and my mother was a teacher and, and he started off as a football coach. So we moved a little bit, but uh, ended up born in Valdosta, uh, raised in Habersham, uh, spent a little time in Newton County and then uh, married a flatlander, uh, met her in college, my wife, Pam. <laughs> And so been in my home's in Jessup, uh, Georgia. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it is, but you know, um, I used to sit down there in Jessup and, and when I was in the state, I was a state representative when I was actually asked to do this job, I represented Wayne Pierce and Brantley counties in the general assembly. And I would see the budget and I'd say, why are we buying this land? There's land everywhere where I live. I mean, you can get in a hunting club, you can do this. And buddy, when I had to rent that condo in Midtown Atlanta and was sitting up there going stir crazy, and that was, I've lived there 13 years, or when I'm in Atlanta, I live there. And so I found Piedmont Park, which is half a mile down the road from me. I could walk to it, do a little fishing. But now I see it because you know, we, we've got Paulding Forest out there. You can go out I-20 and hunt Clybell. And I can get in my car early in the morning. They look at me a little funny when I'm riding down the elevator in the high rise with my bow or my shotgun, but it's perfectly legal. Um, there's some funny stories with that, too, but I won't get into it. But, um, Next podcast. We, we um, But... It, Atlanta, there's a lot of hunters and fishermen that just have to live in Metro for one reason or the other. Uh, it's a great city uh, and, and they need a place to go. And so right. I see the importance of it now. Uh, and, and we, we've, uh, we've, we've 
in my 13 years, I think we've put 150 or 160,000 acres on the rolls of public hunting land. That's incredible. Um, matter of fact, I'm drawn to go to, uh, I got lucky and got drawn. Everybody thinks commissioner can get drawn anytime want to. Well, I'm on my sixth year for my gator tag. <laughs> Let me say that publicly. So hopefully I get another gator tag this year. And, uh, but I got drawn for Ceylon, which is a 24,000 acre uh, new WMA down in Camden County down here, close to where I'm at, and uh, just great hunting. And I'm looking forward to doing that in a couple of weeks. Um, Have you killed a gator yet? I got one six. It'll be six years ago this summer um, uh, on, on the in the Altamaha River, and uh, that's an exciting hunt. Um, it's it. We have about seventeen thousand applicants for a thousand tags. Oh wow! Uh, so it's our most you know most competitive, and that's why it takes so long. Um, but it's a fun hunt, and if thing about it is the requirement is that the uh, the person with the tag dispatches the gator, but it's sort of a team event. I mean, it's uh, I don't know many people that go out there. They can do it, and there's guys that guys and gals that do it, I guess, but um, two or three people in the boat and all we require is that everybody there have a big game license um, on the boat, you know, to help with the hunt. And we So not all three to... have to have been drawn? No, no, they don't have to have been drawn. Just one of them, one gotcha. person there on the boat. But, uh, and we don't allow the type, we don't allow bush hooks and we don't allow shooting in open water. Uh, you can, you, you have to have a weapon that's tethered to the boat. So a crossbow, uh, a harpoon, you can use a sharp rod. And then when you get him up close to the boat, him or her, you can uh, dispatch that alligator with a firearm. And uh, it's, it's on it's the dip. bucket list. I, I need to start putting in for tags because I didn't realize <laughs> that, oh, yeah. that there were 17,000 people applying for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a big deal. It's a, and, you know, we, we, we don't have as many gators as some of the other, you know, Delta states over there, and, and especially not even Florida. Where we have them, we have a lot of them because I get questions. Why well, only a thousand, man? I can't, I can't even throw my bobber out there for, you know, an alligator sniffing it. But um, we just don't have a, we don't have as many as them. But where we do have them, we, you know, we do have a good concentration like down here where I'm at today. That's in that part of it too. You just uh, experiencing one of those different ecosystems. Um, yeah. My my wife and I we like to, which has been a little while since we've been able to travel. But there's been different times. We're we're a big fan of going out west in uh, you know Colorado and all those different areas. And uh, there's there's different times where it hits us is like look you know the people that live out here they would love seeing what we've got back home uh we were at a my niece's little t-ball game last night you know we we're up here in murray county so we're you know kind of at the, the foot of the blue ridge mountains a little bit and there was a moment where it hit me and i'm looking around and we've got the mountains in the backdrop you know the weather was perfect and like it hits you there's so many things that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis that we kind of lose sight of where we are and what we have access to. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, I, I, I don't know that there's a prettier place in America than, than the North Georgia mountains. I, uh, 
and I'm partial to them because I grew up there. Um, I, as a kid, dad was principal of Tallulah Falls School there. We, uh, I mean, we played in the gorge. <laughs> that's that awesome. Like, that's what we did. And, uh, but you're right. Um, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow to go to uh, South Dakota and Wyoming with some friends and, and chase Miriam turkeys. Uh, chase, oh, nice. being, chase being the key word there. <laughs> uh, and um, you get out there and the locals are like, yeah, you know, you sit there, you know, behind a decoy calling and you see elk, mule deer. You see all these things. I, I, we see tracks of bear tracks, but you know, haven't seen one of those yet. But, um, and those guys are like, Yeah, no big deal. And I'm like, I'm in awe, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. just a different, different thing. But, but we do, we, we, uh, just looking out where I'm at today, you know, I, I drive by these marshes every day and it's like, you, you tend to sort of, sort of take it for granted. And um, but I guarantee you, you go on a gator hunt up in these uh, Altamaha River swamps, and uh, you'll you'll see something you you haven't ever seen before because it's it's pretty amazing. I could definitely see that, and it's on the bucket list for sure. I'm gonna start putting in tags now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was get, get your whole family to put in tags. That's what that's what most people do, and then somebody will get drawn and. And uh, there's some guides down here. They're 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 not expensive. Some of them charge by the foot. And, um, but uh, there's a couple of local guys. Most of them are, are fishing guides as well, and they'll they'll do gator hunts at night because uh, a lot of the hunting's done at night, and that that's that's legal. I love it. Now, and you know, I know how busy you are, especially at this time of year. So I really appreciate you taking time to do this. And really the motivation was, you know, behind it, when things are great and, you know, numbers are great and everything, I could see where you guys are kind of maybe not completely in a thankless position, but when things are going great, nobody really thinks about the measures being taken to make it great. And uh, when you have to do something like this season, as far as making changes, uh, you know, without hearing from the people that are, you know, having to make those tough decisions, you can, and, you know, you hear conversations where people feel a little off put by it, but I know the people behind the decisions and I can't think of a better group of people for it to be in their hands that genuinely care not only about turkey but deer and everything that that Georgia has to offer and I just wanted people to be able to to hear from you and know that from that standpoint we're in good hands well I appreciate that Scott and you know 95 percent of the critters for lack of a better term that we look after we don't consume we don't hunt um and so that's a big part of it um our conservation section but we're we're constantly like i don't know what all's going on today uh, but we're we're netting turkeys putting collars on them, trying to learn their habits we're trapping doves of all things and banding them morning doves we're we're darting bears and putting tags in their ears and then waking them up and letting them go to to to, 
to learn about their habit. I mean, it, there's something going on every day with fisheries. We, uh, I'll shout out to my fisheries program because and you're up there in trout country. Um, we, we did have an episode with whirling disease last year and had to clean out all our hatcheries um, and, and all our stocking for this year, we had to uh, uh, kill. Actually. I mean, we just had to destroy them because of that disease. We couldn't put them in the wild population. And they worked so hard and used and got some help from our neighboring states to make sure we our anglers had a, a good stock this year. And uh, they, it's things like that. It's so much that goes behind the scenes that that the, the finished product ain't always going to be perfect, and and we're not always going to have great hunter satisfaction, but. Um, at the end of the day, these guys are uh, guys and gals that work for us. There's just so much they do on a day in day out basis out in the field to to learn more about these species and and, um, and keep them sustainable. Right, um, uh, hunters, uh, because these species have value, the, the people pay for licenses, and licenses fund everything we do and. Uh, I don't have the stats in front of me, but hunters and fishermen across this nation put more dollars into con con uh, conservation than, than I think if you added all the other ones up together. And uh, we have great partners, uh, DU, NWTF, um, and all these folks, but it's the licensed dollars that, uh, that, 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 that really uh, drive the conservation in this nation. And, and then our gun manufacturers um, won't get real in the weeds here, but the Pittman-Robinson Act was enacted uh, over getting close to 100 years ago by two legislators, one named Pittman and one named Robinson up in D.C. And it's a fund that uh, folks like Marty Daniel and CVA and then pay into with an excise tax and all, all, all hunting products, gun products, they pay into it. And we draw that money down from that fund in D.C. So if I could sell an $8.50 license, but I can, on that one license, I may draw down, um, um, I think last year was around $48 or $52. Oh, so wow. every license we sell, and they pay that into that. And so I want non-hunters to hear this. I don't know how many listen to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, you, you get that you get the attacking gun manufacturers and stuff, but yet you're a conservationist, you know. Right. I'm not putting people in buckets, but if you had a person that says, I'm a conservationist, I love wildlife and I want them to thrive, but boy, I sure hate that assault rifle. You know, it's a bad deal. Right. That assault rifle dollars, I draw that money down and use it to buy land. Or gopher tortoises, monarch butterflies, indigo snakes, and all those things can thrive. Yeah, we're going to hunt it. That's a requirement. But at the end of the day, we've reached our same goal based on that dollar. Um, yeah. We're protecting the things you love, and my hunters getting to hunt the things, you know, their passion. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's there's a, a big uh, educational gap. And yeah, it's people an just see things gap. on the surface. Yeah. You mentioned the the gentleman that did the the turkey research. Uh, he suggested even more strict conservation efforts for this season. 
Uh, if you don't mind, what what did that look like? I know you pulled it back a little bit. How extreme was it, his view? It was another, I, I believe it was another week, maybe two weeks. Uh, it's all about the nesting and the courting, uh, the courting process between the gobbler and the hen. And I'm going to butcher this up. But, uh, <laughs> and, and I hope my, Michael, he's, he's such a great, Dr. Chamberlain is just brilliant when it comes to turkeys and an avid turkey hunter. And, and deer hunter um but it's it's all about numbers with with the nest and, and trying to get them all to nest at one time and that way the predator the predation they can only eat so many but if right. they if it's spread out and this is real lame in terms but they got a meal every week and and uh and the courtship of that that dominant gobbler and the hen is not – it takes a little while for that, too. And if that gobbler's killed, then uh, you start over again. And uh, so it was pushing it back. Uh, the biggest thing we didn't do was push back the season. And what, what we decided was let's – well, let me back up. There's three parts to wildlife management. There's, there's the biology, and that should – Trump, most everything, there's political, and then there's social. And the social part has gotten really expanded with social media. The political part's been about biology. The biologies should always trump the decision or weigh, weigh the majority. And then uh, the political's been done the same way in this nation for 200-something years. But the social's really expanded with social yeah. media. And so I said... If I'm going to take, if I'm going to push it back as far as the science says, I need to be able to show my customers some science. And where I can do that is on state-owned lands where we can really monitor if pushing it back to two weeks helped. Um, and so we're going to look at that over the next few years and, and see if that helps. And, uh, and then there's a lot of just out of our control, um, you know, little chicks they, they're like other, every other little bird for the, for the first little bit they look at the sky with their mouth open and if we have a big rainy season uh, that causes problems and, um but so many little variables oh yeah yeah and so um i just I, hunters and fishers pay our salaries and 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 we just cannot ignore or we need to be able to show them the reasons that we're doing things. And, and um, that's why I, I walked that back just a little bit and we concentrated more on the harvest side. Right. And we'll see, we're not, anybody that thinks they're an expert, well, Chamberlain is the closest thing I know to an <laughs> expert on turkeys, but it, it, he'll tell you himself that, uh, it, nobody's an expert when it comes to those birds that's uh and i have zero issue with the short-term sacrifice for the long-term gain and you you mentioned it earlier just the the thrill of hearing a gobble uh you know you can i mean if you get the bird that's icing on the cake you know no better feeling but you can walk out of the woods having heard a gobble and feel like you were paid for your i mean you're always paid for your trip but there's just something about hearing that and i've got a a buddy of mine that i'm wanting to introduce to the sport coming up here in a couple of weeks that i'm going to take out 
And I know if I can get him out there, if we hear a gobble, I have a zero doubt in my mind he's going to be hooked. And I think just having the, you know, in, instead of the micro approach, having the macro approach just with the sport in general and in growing the sport and sustaining, you know, this tradition of, yeah, I, I have zero issue with it. And uh, again, you know, knowing the people behind the decisions and knowing, that even turkey hunting you've been you've been doing this long before i have and uh, again you're just seeing your reaction when we started talking turkey that first time we met like there was no doubt that you loved this sport and uh yeah i just appreciate everything you guys are doing well i appreciate you taking a first timer out you know there's there's i don't can't quote the stats ten uh, percent of hunters in this nation and then uh probably 10 15 percent of of anti-hunters and then there's that big middle they just don't hunt they right. don't have a problem with it but they just don't hunt and they don't know why we're out there and yeah, if we can that, show them that's our target because we can reach those folks um and and you reach them doing what you're going to do and I, I tell you i'm I've gotten where I, if, if I can get the owls fired up, there's nothing like owls in the morning. If they get really rocking in, in, in a river. Sounds country. like a jungle, does it not? Oh, yeah, it's crazy. And uh, that excites me about as much as, 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 as anything. But, uh, but, but getting back to that, the non-hunting group, and, and we do a tremendous amount of outreach. We have some uh, – uh, women's programs that we do at Charlie Elliott. We have first-time hunters programs that we do. We have a lot of parent-child hunting stuff, and we've tried to make our license structure real easy uh, to get kids involved because, um, you know, um, uh, you're sitting down, so I'm glad you are, but my daughter had two sets of twins in three years. So. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, let that sink in. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and so they're they're three and a half and two. It's three, girls, <laughs> three girls and a boy. And the oldest set, the little, the youngest set, not so much. The oldest set, when we're walking in the woods, you know, just seeing it. I don't know. You, you've hunted all your life. You sort of, again, like we said earlier, you start taking stuff for granted. Right. But that those four-year-olds, uh, three-and-a-half-year-olds, every noise why what why and it just takes you back say this is really cool and and you know they see their first terrapin or gopher tortoise or or garter snake running across and, and a thousand questions and uh that that's that's been great seeing nature through their eyes for me uh i didn't have a boy i had two girls but uh yeah yeah it's a full-time job uh, i thought we were going to have to buy um stock in a landfill <laughs> it's yeah uh well and you know it starts at an early age like that too that you know that they say between the ages of four to seven is when you know you're putting the foundational blocks of the human brain together and that type of experience is so much more valuable than you having to answer questions about an ipad or some type of gaming system so it, it it's a a 360 degree effort in moving this forward just the just the outdoor lifestyle uh, yeah yeah and, and and whether they hunt or not it's not gonna break my heart but right. they're gonna have an appreciation 
um, it, it, because people are only going to protect what they fall in love with and understand. Exactly. And uh, just making them fall fall in love with the outdoors. And uh, of course, old Pop Pop here, it's hard for him to keep up with them. <laughs> it'd be hard for anybody to keep up with two sets of twins under five years old you just don't even know man i, I my brother my son-in-law had a birthday the other day and I, I got his present at cbs and it didn't take much wrapping paper <laughs> you may speaking, want to edit that out i don't know hey speaking of wrapping we'll leave it there how's that <laughs> <laughs> oh mark I could, we could do this all day. I know yeah. you've got so much more important things to do, but I'm so appreciative of you taking the time. And again, it was, I, I wanted people to, to see, uh, you know, the side of the people that are behind these measures. Cause I know it's easy to have a knee jerk reaction and feel like, you know, something else is happening without, you know, somebody having a say in it, but just to, for somebody to see, the the sportsman side of you and know that whatever measures are taking place or things that you you genuinely believe are going to better the sport I, I just really appreciate you taking the time to do this with me well i thank you and um we we um we try to do our best and we try to be transparent and just for all your listeners uh Go to our website anytime you, you need to. You can just type DNR at Georgia in the Google box and see when our board meetings are. Um, we, we, we're going away. We're going back to live meetings. We had some Zoom during, during the COVID. Uh, but, uh, you know, w- w- when we put out a rule, comment on it. That, that's the only way we know. Um, um, we, 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 when we do a rule change, um, like last year when we did the turkey thing, uh, our friends at GON actually surveyed some of the same questions that we were looking at, and we were able to use their 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 statistics and and plus our our public comment. But um, like it's just like voting and everything else. Um, it's don't fo- let us know ahead of time so we can we can tailor or maybe look at the rule, look at your suggestions uh, before we set the rule. And uh, those rule packages come out every two years, and uh, and uh, sometimes we have intermediate stuff with fisheries and and and, and different species of fish. But uh, yeah, let us hear from you. Uh, we're right there and uh, right here and. Uh, I won't give my cell phone number out, but I think I think every hunter in Georgia's got it. I've had the same one for 22 years. I start getting pictures uh, opening day of turkey season. I probably got 40. Um, That's awesome. It's <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse. You can't help yeah, but look at it. It's a blessing and a curse, but it's um, you know I love talking hunting, even if we're arguing about something. As long as we're talking hunting and fishing, I'm happy. So. Uh, right. I appreciate you letting me come on, Scott. Absolutely, Mark. You have a, a safe trip, and uh, I'll be watching for some some pictures of some Merriams. Yeah. See you, buddy. We'll see you. Bye. As always, really appreciate you checking out the Horned Deer Sense podcast. Would like to thank Mark Williams, Georgia DNR Commissioner, again for taking some time out of his schedule to hang out with us. If you're headed to the woods this weekend, best of luck. If you're contemplating headed to the woods, 
Just remember you can't kill them from the couch. We'll see you next time.